Alright, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday. Time for the AMA. That is the Ask Me Anything. Welcome to the show. This is the day where I respond to your questions and comments. And there are numerous subjects that are covered on this channel. And I was thinking about devoting future Ask Me Anything Wednesdays to just a single subject. However, you guys have been leaving so many excellent comments about all kinds of topics. I just couldn't do it this week. There are too many things to respond to that are getting me genuinely curious where I have something to say about it. Or you guys have just been leaving really good uh, suggestions and ideas on all kinds of episodes, whether it's true crime or some of the psychology stuff that I'll talk about later on in the episode. So big shout out to all of you. And this is just going to be a free-for-all discussion but the next announcement is that next week will be devoted to the Long Island serial killer. Black Box Online Radio is now coming to you five days a week, and all five episodes will be devoted to the Long Island serial killer, including Zodiac Mondays. That will also be turned into Long Island Serial Killer Monday, just for that one week. So please look out for that new series. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, now's a good time to do so. You can follow along with all of this. This week is happening regularly as planned. Tomorrow will be the next episode in the series on the disappearance of Donna Lass from 1970, which is a possible crime that could be connected to the Zodiac Killer. And it's also going to be a crime that may have been connected to an individual named Lawrence Kane, which I'll be talking about a lot today, whom I'll be talking about a lot today. I should say instead. And of course, you can always download this show for free at Launchpad One, get the audio, and take it on the go as a pure podcast. One more time at Launchpad One, under the same name, Black Box Online Radio, but there's a link to that in the description box here. And Black Box Online Radio relies on your support, and the best way to support the channel is just by listening, but also there is the Teespring page. Feel free to check out some of the merchandise, t-shirts, almost all sizes and colors are available, and remember, being weird is not a crime. And just one more announcement. Yesterday, during the True Crime Talk radio segment, I was talking about the show Murder on the Towpath. It is a podcast that is covering the murder and the investigation surrounding the death of Mary Pinchot Meyer, who was killed in 1964, and she was a mistress of John F. Kennedy, and her husband was a high-ranking individual in the CIA, and the podcast is available on Luminary, and I just wanted to put out the announcement that if you would like to check that one out, the first episode is available for free. I'm hoping to listen to that one as soon as I can. But I've been following the um, podcast slash audiobook, The Last Days of August by John Bronson, which I will use for the Anything Goes segment this week. So I've been trying to get that one in as much as I can, so I'll be ready for the episode. But I'm going to listen to this one in the future, Murder on the Towpath. And it's hosted by Soledad O'Brien, the, I guess, former mainstream news anchor. I'm not sure which station or network she is working with now, but she used to be on... CNN. Now, it seems like this podcast, Murder on the Towpath, is going to focus more on a man who was arrested and wrongly accused of the murder of Mary Pinchot Meyer. But I really don't know if I'm going to like the direction of it. As I said, I'm just putting out the announcement. I haven't heard that free episode yet. They have at least nine episodes posted for Murder on the Towpath. 
but it seems like they're going to do this more about race relations and a little bit of race baiting because the man who was wrongfully accused of her murder was black. He was uh, someone who was walking by the towpath near the CNO Canal, and he claimed that he just went fishing and that he dropped his fishing pole in the water, so he got in the water to get it, and he was, of course, soaking wet when he climbed out, and they thought that he was trying to escape the murder scene. Mary Pinchot Meyer was gunned down, and um, she died from multiple gunshot wounds. But I definitely want to learn more about that case, so that'll be something on my list in the future, just dropping the announcement. And on to today's material, I did an episode on Zodiac Mondays talking about the Zodiac Killer suspect Lawrence Kane, and it was entitled Lawrence Kane and the Murder of Dana Lull. And I was frequently citing the Lawrence Kane WordPress, which is run by Travis Miller, and Travis listened and responded in the comments section. Hi, Ned. Excellent video concerning Lawrence Kane's appearance in the description of Dana Lull's abductor, the suit, driving gloves, etc. Journalists reporting on the case and Kane's 1952 burglary arrest, which was actually a fairly prominent story in the press at the time, described Kane as a flashy, well-heeled individual. One article's headline referred to him as a dandy, and Dorothy Kilgallen's Voice of Broadway column even characterized him as a playboy. Of course, I have no way of knowing whether or not he was retained. He retained those characteristics into his middle age, but I do think that Lawrence Kane, as a young man, at least tried to maintain a veneer of gentility. So, with Lawrence Kane, he is someone who is not only a Zodiac suspect, but we look, what do we know about him? He's ex-Navy. He changed his name from Lawrence Klein to Lawrence K in the 1940s, but also that he is a career criminal. He had numerous arrests, and I definitely never had the um, impression of Lawrence Kane that he was this um, well-dressed, upstanding playboy type of anything. People refer to him as a cold-blooded killer who got away with it because of his connections to organized crime. But there was a bigger question that I had for Travis. As I said, he runs the Lawrence Kane WordPress, and I responded by saying, Hey Travis, I was just about to contact you, so if I could get your 100% honest answer slash opinion, do you think Lawrence Kane murdered Dana Lull? And this is um, the 1974 murder of Dana Lull, which I was discussing on Zodiac Mondays. And that would, of course, be the theory that Lawrence Kane was the Zodiac Killer, but he committed additional murders outside of um, the canonical crimes that were reported differently. I mean, firstly, Lawrence Kane is a Zodiac suspect, which is connected to the disappearance of Donna Lass. And I, I, if I can address the elephant in the room, I think it's because Lawrence Kane has a firm grounding in Nevada, and Donna Lass worked in the Sahara Casino, which is... Um, on the state line between Nevada and California, but I wanted to get Travis's take on the subject. Did Lawrence Kane murder Dana Lull in 1974? And he says, Black Box Online Radio, had you asked me that three years ago, I would have said yes. I guess my answer is contingent upon the accuracy of Harvey Hines's report. While I can't pinpoint any blatant falsehoods or inaccuracies in his report, Dana Lull, something about the ostensible perfection, for lack of a better word in the case he presents against Kane, juxtaposed with the apparent apathy and lack of follow-up on the part of the investigators and the detectives, 
leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not suggesting that Harvey Hines fabricated anything outright, but I am skeptical. Surely if Kane's car tallied as closely with Roy Topai's description as Hines claimed, then the police should have taken a keener interest, right? As far as independently verifiable information, the assailant's physical description, including his manner of dress, does comport fairly well with Kane, but I'm afraid this taken by itself isn't very compelling. Okay, so Travis waited saying, yes, there is a close physical description, but that seems like not enough to say that he committed the murder of Dana Lull. But in the episode, Lawrence Kane and the Murder of Dana Lola came out last Monday, I read off a description of the vehicle that um, was almost identical to the one that was owned by Lawrence Kane, meaning the vehicle that was present when Dana Lull was abducted and murdered, and the vehicle that was driven by Lawrence Kane. They're both white. They both had the spoked um, hubcap rim things. I don't really know too much about cars, whatever those are called. And... Um, they have had very similar descriptions. And I even had that type of response when I was like, it almost seems as if it's too perfect. Not saying that anyone's fudging the facts because I can't prove it, but it's something about that. Oh, the guy's just matching Lawrence Kane's description exactly. The car is matching Lawrence Kane's car description perfectly. Yet yeah, look what Travis wrote in here. The investigators had a sense of apathy in following up with um, the tasks. So, like, they didn't seem to find this stuff very credible. And we will find that Harvey Hines, the man who brought Lawrence Kane forward as a Zodiac suspect, has been accused of... Well, he, I shouldn't say accused of anything. He just had a bad reputation, more or less. But with Lawrence Kane... Let's talk about the murder of Dana Lowell, because I'll provide a few more pieces of um, info. Dana Lowell was abducted from a lover's lane. She was there with her boyfriend, as you heard um, in the comment there. His name was Roy Topai. She was driven to some other location, murdered. She was shot with a twenty-two caliber gun, and her body was discarded in a mine shaft. She was found about two to three weeks later after passing away. This is a case that um, received an enormous amount of media coverage. Travis posted a lot of the articles on the Lawrence Kane WordPress, and even hearing that um, this burglary that Lawrence Kane committed was a was a big story in the news. On the one hand, it surprises me. On the other other hand, it doesn't because so many of these Zodiac killer suspects turned out that they were famous for something else in the news, like they had their little moment in the sun in the world of true crime prior to becoming a Zodiac killer suspect. It happens all the time. But the murder of Dana Lull was a well something that was widely covered in nineteen seventy four by the media because they didn't know what happened to her. She was abducted, and if I can follow the narrative, now I wasn't there just after reading several articles and looking into this and looking at other people's comments, it appears that she's in this lover's lane with her boyfriend. They're in a car. Some guy who's rather well-dressed, even wearing driving gloves, pulls up. He removes a gun. He holds them up at gunpoint. And then he devotes his attention to Dana Lull because she's the target of this. It is meant to be an abduction and her boyfriend, Roy Topai, is able to escape and run away into the ravine, and before anyone criticizes him, that probably saved his life, otherwise he may have been killed. 
execution style, but Dana Lull is then abducted. On the desert highway in Nye County, Nevada, somebody stopped a car, again, matching the description, and he said that there was a girl in the car who appeared to have been asleep, but the uh, person who also seems to have matched Lawrence Kane's description just um continued with the traffic stop, didn't bat an eyelash, and apologized for um driving a little bit recklessly, and he was given a warning. Because it was in such a remote place of the Nevada desert, they weren't able to give out any type of radio contact or anything like that, and the APB had not been put out, the officer who had stopped this white car was unable to um, give any type of, um, or receive any type of info that they're supposed to be on the lookout for a vehicle of that description. So you got a man in the vehicle, you got a girl who is asleep, and many people would just say that that was Dana Lull and she was murdered. She had been murdered by that person and he was just driving to the mine shaft to discard her body. Well, was it Lawrence Kane or not? I'm also very divided. I mean, as I said, something bothers me. And I was just uh, watching uh, the show Waterloo Road. It's on YouTube for free. And someone asked a question about that, like, what do you do when you're suspicious about something? And the person responded by saying that if your gut instinct is telling you that something is wrong, then perhaps it there actually is. Like, do you ever just have those moments when your instincts are telling you something's not right about this? And I really hate using the expression too perfect, but that's the way I have to respond to this um, Lawrence Kane theory regarding the murder of Dana Lull. Something just seems like it's fitting almost too perfectly. It's fitting like a glove in such a perfect way that I'm curious if somebody, some way along the line, fudged the facts. Because if they had all this um, evidence against Lawrence Kane, why wasn't he convicted of it? Was it because he had connections to Alan Dorfman and organized crime? Perhaps. Maybe. But um, I'll go to another comment here. And this one comes to us from Studio Steph, who says, I so look forward to these. You frequently articulate my thoughts. I agree with you that according to witness accounts, Kane is probably responsible for the Lowell murder and a few others. But Lake Herman Road, Blue Rock Springs, Lake Berryessa, and Presidio Heights were all blitz attacks, not kidnappings, and followed with some correspondences. I'm perplexed with the last case, as it was a kidnapping, followed by correspondence. I look forward to your next episode. Hey, thank you, Studio Steph. All right, though. Now, there's this guy out there. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Robert Graysmith, and he was a big believer. Allegedly, allegedly. I mean, he's also been caught lying numerous times. He was a big believer in his book, Zodiac Unmasked, that the Zodiac Killer was an abductor. He pointed to a crime that took place after the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, or maybe that it, Sherry Jo Bates was even an alleged abduction, like trying to lure her away from her vehicle. Did I say alleged? I meant attempted abduction. And then three weeks after the Bates murder, there's the attempted abduction of a Riverside student at a, not a RCC, but at UC Riverside. And then Grace Methalt was also like the Zodiac attempted to abduct Kathleen Johns in March of 1970 on Highway Route 132. The Zodiac attempted to abduct numerous victims, right? Wrong. Those are all unconfirmed crimes. Look what Studio Stuff just wrote out. In the confirmed canonical Zodiac crimes from Lake Herman Road to Presidio Heights, the Zodiac didn't abduct anyone. They were blitz attacks, followed by a correspondence. The murder of Dana Lull is a kidnapping. No correspondence. 
and it occurred in 1974, years after the Zodiac had already gone public. Oh, the Zodiac can write the Exorcist letter in 1974, but can't take credit for the murder of Dana Lull? I mean, the Zodiac can take credit for the disappearance of Donna Lass by writing and oddly connecting Peek Through the Pines card, but the Zodiac can't write in anything connecting him to the murder of Dana Lull. It seems like um, that one really is a little bit off the radar for the Zodiac, or it just appears like a very different crime. And I think the biggest connection between the abduction of Dana Lull and the abduction slash murder of Dana Lull, that is, and the um, Zodiac killer is that it was a lover's lane. If she had been abducted in a different way, I don't think anyone would be trying to uh, connect this to the Zodiac Killer, unless they want to go down this angle that Lawrence Kane was the uh, person who did it. But another point that is mentioned in Zodiac Unmasked by Robert Graysmith, Harvey Hines spent 20 years trying to connect Lawrence Kane to the crime scenes to find out Kane's whereabouts on the December 20th of 68 to October 11th of 69. He couldn't do it, or he couldn't find anything that would certify that Lawrence Kane was indeed the Zodiac Killer. Now, somebody like Lawrence Kane, um, you hear up this whole angle of, oh, he works for organized crime, he's a cold-blooded murderer, he's a mob hitman. Well, if he had been a mob hitman or even someone who regularly committed murders for organized crime, the Zodiac doesn't seem to be someone who had a lot of familiarity with committing murders. In fact, the Zodiac was a piss-poor serial killer. Mike Mujot survived the Blue Rock shooting, Brian Hartnell survived the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and, I mean, Cecilia Shepard even lived for two more days after the Lake Berryessa incident as well, and she was able to give witness descriptions in the hospital. So I think that um, about covers a lot of the um, points on the disappearance, abduction, and murder of Dana Lull. Lawrence Kane could be a strong suspect in that. I'm not saying that he did it, because I certainly have no proof of that. I definitely would get suspicious, but the other thing I'm suspicious about is, is someone fudging some of the facts in the in not the police report, but just what is made available to the media. And um, I will be very clear, I do not believe that Lawrence Kane was the Zodiac killer. Now, moving on to a different subject, I have a couple episodes out on the suspicious death of Henry McCabe. And he was the man who was last seen leaving um, his friends after attending a Minnesota nightclub, and he was seen on surveillance camera walking past a gas station. His friends took his wallet to cut him off from drinking, which we can only interpret to be in their version of events that it was so he couldn't spend more money. I first learned about the death of Henry McKay because of the Lord and Arts channel, another great channel on YouTube that I promote regularly. And Henry McCabe was later found dead in a nearby lake, pond, a small body of water that was in that general area, although his friends dropped him off at the gas station that was nowhere near his home. And this one became very famous and well-known to the media because of a rather bizarre and unusual voicemail that was left behind. Henry McCabe was heard on a voicemail that was, um, he was just making sounds that seemed very guttural. They sound almost like screaming, groaning, writhing, in pain, and people didn't know what to make of it. And according to 
the authorities, someone says, stop it, on that voicemail. What I mean, it's a really long story about what happened with um the, the reason why that was recorded. It's almost like, now, I hope I've got this right. He, his phone auto-called his wife, like, I mean, how pocket dialing, remember that? And his wife thought that it was such a bizarre, bizarre way of, um, like, responding. So she pulled in somebody else, like, in a three-way call, and that person's phone went to voicemail like she wanted to get someone else's take on the subject. What on earth is he doing? What are these sounds that he is making? And that went to voicemail. That's why it was recorded. But when it was broadcast to the media, the full, um, the full audio was not played. And um, that is more or less the general version. Please excuse me if I missed a minor detail or such. And um, we had a new comment that came in recently, but first I would like to read off this older one from Andre Jones, which I did read once on the channel. One theory is that his friends dropped him off at the gas station so it could be recorded on camera that Henry was dropped off where they said and that they had an alibi. Then they merely drove up the street out of camera and waited for Henry to leave the gas station, walking away from the gas station, and then drove back to Henry and said, You know what, Henry? Get in the car. I'll take you to your house. He got in there, and they took him to the woods and the lake, and what happened at the lake is anybody's guess. And as I said, Henry McCabe was indeed found dead in the water. But Lisa Zinn has dropped a recent comment on that episode, once again talking about the murder of Henry, or I shouldn't say the murder of dead Henry McCabe, it's called Who Killed Henry McCabe? Death and Theories. As I understand, um, his death was ruled as accidental. Lisa Zinn says, I believe they took his wallet so he couldn't be blackmailed or rent a no-tell motel. I believe he met a beautiful woman at the club and wanted to go home with her. Well, all of that could be true. Henry McKay was experiencing financial troubles. I mean, it is a bizarre thing, and that's the way the Lord and Arts episode introduced it. Like, I would even ask people this after I first watched it. Have you ever heard of it before, when someone takes somebody's wallet to cut them off from drinking? What is normally done is you take the keys away from somebody so they can't drive, but I had never quite uh, heard that one before, and then they determined, yeah, okay, they took his wallet so he couldn't spend more money, but um, very bizarre. And then the next part of Lisa's comment is as follows. I believe that this woman was a demon who had chosen Henry because of his shady dealings with Liberians in the States. Oh, I need to say, Henry McCabe was originally from Liberia. I believe once they were alone, she killed him. Curses are very real in 90% of third world countries, including the entire continent of Africa. Well, I can't comment too much on that last thing there. One theory before Henry McCabe's body was discovered is that he was experiencing lots of financial trouble in the United States of America, so he simply just did a runner and went back to his birth nation of Liberia. However, that obviously was not true. Henry McCabe was found dead in that lake in Minnesota. But um, about this, though, that his friends took the wallet so he couldn't spend money with the woman at the no-tell motel, I think you can get what Lisa's saying by that. That would still be the same principle, though. They took his wallet so he couldn't spend more money because he was in financial trouble. And um, I believe he met a beautiful woman at the club and wanted to go home with her, and that she killed him. Well, if that were the case, then she um, 
must have been doing that psychologically because it doesn't appear that those signs were um, found on Henry McCabe's body. Somebody named Brian also wrote into the channel, and he said that um, John Lorden, the guy I was just talking about, had heard the entire voicemail of Henry McCabe because, as I said, the edited version was only put out to the media, and his response was that, Lorden's, that is, that Henry McCabe was just some guy that was dealing with perhaps some mental health issues, plus he was very intoxicated after drinking at a nightclub. I mean, why his friends dropped him off at that odd location, I'm not sure, and it really, that is one of the biggest mysteries in itself. But when people are disoriented around a water source, I mean, mental health issues or not, being intoxicated near a water source often leads to drowning, and that is a big reason why there's even that smiley face killers theory that people are targeting young males who are leaving bars and so on, and they're leaving the smiley face graffiti. The biggest counter um, counter statement to that is that people get intoxicated, they leave a bar, they're walking by themselves near a body of water, and they fall in. And when the, when someone is disoriented, the risk of drowning is so much higher, and that leads a person to, um, well, it's it's accidental death, not murder. But um, I, I would like to go on to a different subject, and while this is mostly a true crime channel, I did one episode on psychology over the weekend, a bonus episode, if you will, and you guys left in a, a lot of good comments on that one, and I was tempted to do the whole episode on this um, psychological stuff. I know it's not the most popular, but I can see that you guys have um, really shared some really, really good material here. I wanted to uh, discuss that, and I also needed to respond to some things about the other recent episodes, True Crime Talk Radio, as well as the Lawrence Kane episode on Monday. But the first one that I would um, like to get to relates to how the episode was on dealing with anxiety, getting over bad memories, and um, post-traumatic stress. And I was just listening to a show earlier today that was talking about something that I said in that episode about how I'm a believer that you're not supposed to experience those things that we call negative emotions like anger and sadness and I think that um, this is a double-edged sword because the episode that I was listening to today said that some people will tell you that anxiety is normal. It's normal to feel that way. That's not true. Absolutely, I agree with that. Normally, there's a problem that is causing people to feel this form of anxiety and that the actual goal that we're supposed to strive toward is to not feel those things. Anxiety, anger, sadness, we're not supposed to experience them. It is a very difficult journey. I mean, to actually get to that place of uh, mental clarity, but not everyone's in agreement with that. Some people think that those things are good. I'm just one who isn't a uh, believer in that. And I'd like to go to the first comment here that has come to us from MC, who says, through a hypnosis session, I learned to use trigger words to get bad thoughts and memories from my past, to stop them in their tracks. So my word for when I feel them coming into the forefront of my brain is rewind. I say the word over and over again until the bad memory is gone, or I say stop it, stop it, stop it, over and over until something goes away. For me, this works very well. 
I did something a little bit similar. Firstly, I'm glad that that does work for you, and I would encourage everybody to find the method that works for you. What I used to t do was, if I could find myself just about to get lost into a daydream when I would think about something bad, I would just say, I'm not going to think about that anymore. And that worked for a whole three weeks. And um, the reason why that became very difficult to fight was, this is just for me, but um, it's because it's still getting a reaction out of me. And I was talking about this in the uh, Saturday episode when I said that um, it's about the thought gets a reaction from you, so you keep paying attention to it. And the thing that I would use that is similar to MC's method is I would say, I have no opinion about that. And it was recommended to me from the uh, silent prayer. That's one thing you do. You just sit in a chair and you um, try to just focus on the present. Like whether you hear noises in the house or you can like hear your stomach growling or something like that. That's fine. And if you ever start thinking about something that is not present, like th something that is just like a thought, you say, I have no opinion on that. I have no opinion about that. But um, I think this is also a very good one, saying rewind, 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 because it's a method you can actually try. I like self-help methods and psychological methods that actually gives you something that you can try. And I was so frustrated when I watched a video once that someone had sent me how to get over bad memories, and the guy saying, Okay, we'll try thinking about something else. No, uh-uh. That is not good. Because that's the whole point. You can't just think about something else. And um, it's like that um, mental experiment that someone said, try not to think about a polar bear. And it's hard because all you're going to do is think about the polar bear. So uh, saying rewind, I think that um, that does sound like a good thing. I did something similar as well. And here's um, a very good comment from Nothing Rien who says, Intermittent fasting makes you fit, mindful of your body and thoughts, working on the subconscious, like telling yourself good things, thinking positively. Meditation and mindfulness is difficult, but breathing and concentration helps. Okay, the first response is, uh, the most basic form of meditation is just focusing on your breathing, which I think is really quite similar to the silent prayer, because it's all about um, being aware of the present and learning to focus on one thing at a time. I've also said in the past, and I say this facetiously or um, not scientifically, let's say that, 90% of the problems in life are because of stomach irritation. Um, and the reason I said that is uh, a couple of years ago, I had this job that I didn't like very much, and I would always go to work, and I'd be kind of grumpy, and then I would go to lunch, and they provided us lunch, we got like free lunch at work, and I would always be kind of a, ugh, look at this crap we have to eat today. I was an absolute jerk. I was a jerk to all my coworkers. None of them liked me. They acted like they liked me a little bit, but they really didn't, and I didn't really like them. And then one day, I went out to an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet, and you know, I'm just going buck wild, more or less. I'm eating pancakes. I'm just eating all kinds of junk. I think I was even eating vegetables. They had those at the all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet, and I got absolutely loaded up. And by the time lunch came, time came around, yeah, the food was crappy again, but I didn't care. It's like, oh, whatever. 
doesn't bother me. I mean, I just ate like 2,000 calories in the morning, which I don't recommend you doing, but the whole point is, that's when I began to think 90% of the problems in life are related to stomach irritation. And they even talk about this in the movie Soul, like that animated film, when uh, someone eats a piece of pizza and they're like, wait, I'm not angry anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's why they have that word hangry. It's when you're angry because of hunger. So I'm um, intermittent fasting. Uh, some people praise that to no end. Like, if you ever watch the channel Bulldog Mindset, John Sanmez, the host of that, talks about it a lot. He says he doesn't eat until 5 p.m. every day, and it, it, it had great results for him. In fact, actually, most people I know who've tried intermittent fasting have said that they have had very good results. It's just it's quite difficult to stick to. And the next one is from Classic Chevy Cat, who says, For me, it's knowing that something is out of control out of my control, that causes pretty extreme anxiety. Having had a fire and losing everything, sirens, the smell of smoke, wildfires here in California, all my triggers are, all of that triggers my anxiety. When it's out of my control, I start to panic. One thing that calms me down is prayer. I hand my fear over to God, and honestly, I feel better. I used to not believe in God, then I began to pray. Long story short, I believe it helps. I mean, I don't mean to influence anybody's spirituality or religion, but I am also spiritual. I pray every night, every day. So um, it has also helped me, and in fact, that's one of the few constants in my life. The next comment comes to us from Walter, who says, MDMA has worked wonders for people with PTSD. I've heard doctors say in one, se one session with MDMA achieves more progress than years of conventional therapy. Trust me on this. Even war veterans have used it with great success. Usually only takes one or two sessions. Even seen where uh, an ex-DEA agent used it as therapy to help him overcome a lifelong case of survivor's guilt. It works. Also, ketamine works well for chronic depression. You know, believe it or not, someone who is very passionate about this is Jordan Peterson, the psychologist. And he has a lot of controversial things out there, but one thing he does talk about is MDMA is excellent for treating post-traumatic stress disorder. And he's also talked about how psilocybin can get people to stop smoking. The things that we think of as quote-unquote drugs might actually have had good effects. And one of the other things where I'm somewhat praiseworthy of Jordan Peterson is he said that antidepressants, things like Prozac and maybe um other similar ones, Zoloft, those aren't for people who don't have their life out of order. Antidepressants are for people who have their life in order. They have the relationship. They have the job. They have their career. They're a functional adult, but then they just still have that feeling of depression. And it, you can try an antidepressant, and you'll know if it's working in a month. And that is something that I think is very difficult for psychologists to say, because most people are just like, pills, pills, pills. That's just what you have to do. And like, the medication is the only way. And I definitely don't believe that medication is the only way. Do some people need it? Absolutely, yes. That's the whole point. And Jordan Peterson was also the guy who got addicted to benzodiazepines. I forget the exact one. Because I was learning about all that stuff when his um his uh medical issues were going on, and he was experiencing that thing. What was it called? Akathisia, where he had this physical dependency on a substance, and he has always discouraged people not to take substances. And they're like, "Hey, you're a hypocrite." No, there's a difference between a substance like alcohol, tobacco, and so on. 
and illegal drugs, and then there's also doing medication or controlled therapy, as Walter just talked about, using MDMA to overcome post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think it's very honest to say that something like AMDMA can be used in therapy. I've never done that one, but I did do the legalized form of ecstasy called KD, and I have an episode where I tried it here, and I did the Black Box Online radio episode on that. Now, KD comes in four pills to a tube. I guess there's this tube with four capsules in it. The first time I did it, you can hear it on Black Box Online Radio, I got kind of high as a kite, and it was an absolutely excellent experience. I wouldn't say that it altered anything to do with my mental state of being, but it was, um, you know, it felt really good. The second time I did it, it was okay, but not as good. The third time, I barely felt anything, and the fourth time I did it using the final capsule from the tube, it was so bland. I, I've forgotten that I take it. It's like, oh yeah, I guess I took the Katie pill an hour ago. Oh well, I guess it's not doing anything. And someone was asking me that recently when they were like, hey, did you ever try that legalized ecstasy called Katie again? And I said, no. And I don't think I will because after the fourth time, it didn't do anything. The first one was pretty good though. All right, going on to the next comment. This is from Albert Forrell, who says, I'm a licensed psychologist currently working with therapy. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have regarding how and why therapy is supposed to work. Your friends are supposed to say what you want to hear. A therapist says what you need to hear. Now, I have to tell you guys, I don't use any script with this for Black Box Online Radio. Of course, I read off your questions and comments. Those are written out. Sometimes I read articles on the air. Those are written out, but... I don't use any script for my dialogue, and that is um, good in some ways. It's a gift and a curse, I suppose. On the one hand, I can talk very freely, and I can express things exactly as I'm feeling. And on the other hand, sometimes I forget to say certain things. And one thing that I said in that psychology episode that came out last Saturday is, a good way to respond to things like anxiety and um, bad memories and so on is, get a good inner circle. And I was talking to this, talk, talking about this with somebody who's a little bit older than I was a couple of years ago, and they said just that, get a good inner circle of friends. But I forgot to say the most important point, and that is, get a good inner circle of friends, but remember that your friends are not psychologists, your friends aren't therapists, and yes, okay, I mean, you got me there, Albert. I wish I could uh, get into some giant uh, debate with you, but I can't because you're right, and I forgot to say that line. No, I'm mostly in agreement with that. That um, I mean, it's the first time I've heard this exact phrasing. Your friends are supposed to say what you want to hear. A therapist says what you need to hear. There's also a reason why you see a psychologist instead of a group of friends, because you might be going to the psychologist to talk about your friends the psychologist or the therapist or the counselor is supposed to be someone who is disconnected from your social circles because they don't have any role in your social circles. I mean, the friend, they have their own agenda and they have their own dominance hierarchies. They have their own reasons for why they're doing what they're doing, whereas the psychologist is supposed to be someone who is just trying to, well do their agenda, let's just say that. But I responded to the um, 
to Albert's uh, statement there, and I said, hey, thanks, much appreciated. So, Albert, if someone's experiencing mental awareness issues such as depression, anger problems, post-traumatic stress, or memory attacks, is seeing a psychologist or therapist the only answer? And Albert responded by saying, definitely not, but when it comes to asses the problem, what? But when it comes to asses the problem? Oh, to assessing the problem, I guess. Get a clear picture of what's going on, what causes and maintains it. I'm of the opinion that a trained professional is your best shot, but therapy can be used to approach other alternatives in a productive way. Starting a new habit isn't hard. Maintaining it and getting back on the horse when you have set when you have a setback, that's difficult. People often get stuck in, I know I have to, X, and judge themselves for not doing so, and then tend to focus too much on what they don't want instead of what they do want. You shouldn't focus on pouring more water in the tub if there's a leak in the bottom. Doing yoga may give you more energy, but sometimes it's better to focus on what thoughts are the cause and what fears lurk and have to be accepted, instead of running from them. You can't win a marathon against your own shadow by running faster. You sort out what's in your power to change and what's not. Spend your energy wisely and try to be aware of self-deception. I usually tell my patients when they ask me questions like this that if it works for you, good. Just be honest to yourself if it doesn't. I don't know how good of an answer this was, but it's impossible to give a simple one that can be generalized everywhere. Hey, Albert, thank you so much for sharing your professional response there. I mean, no, I do think that is a very good answer because um, look at the beginning here. Definitely not that the point is I was talking with somebody once who said the only way to get over bad memories is to go see a psychologist and process the trauma. And um, they talked a lot about this on Free Domain Radio that, yes, indeed, that's the only way to improve your quality of well-being is to identify where you were traumatized by your parents growing up and then run in the opposite direction, literally and metaphorically. But through many of these methods, you'll find that self-help can sometimes improve someone's quality of life. And as I said, 90% of the problems in life are due to stomach irritation. Oh, and about your job, like your career, your workplace, 90% of the problems with the workplace are your co-workers. Those are not scientific statements. I need to say that one more time. But um, I think that it is very clear that from Albert's comment here that if it works for somebody and they can improve their own well-being without using the traditional means of psychology, good for them. But it does seem like it is a very valuable answer and as I said, I can't knock medication because I think Jordan Peterson laid it out very well. You'll know if it's working or if it is not. And um, when I think the uh, medical community is really, really bogged out on medication because they know that it can deliver results, the fact of the matter is self-help methods are not going to work that well for everyone. And Maybe something such as um, the MDMA therapy might not work that well for everyone, but like when someone is taking an antidepressant or an antipsychotic or um, like something like Paxil that deals with anxiety, that is a chemically engineered drug that is supposed to give a certain result in the body, in the brain, in the central nervous system. It's supposed to affect your body in this designed way. And that's why people use it. And that's why the medical community was so critical of marijuana for a long time. I'm sure you've heard something about how marijuana can be valuable for pain management, 
poor people also use marijuana for anxiety and so on. I mean, I've never once smoked marijuana, but I've read about it. And the reason why the medical community was so against it for the longest time is they're saying marijuana is not a chemically engineered drug. It's a plant. Like, it's not going to affect your body the same way every time. But other people are just like, it's the only thing that is getting the, um, that's alleviating the pain. I watched a video once where Mitt Romney, when he was running for president, he's the senator from Utah, but back when he ran for president, I think in 2012, it was that time around, somebody approached him and the guy said, hi, I'm in a wheelchair, I have muscular dystrophy, I weigh 80 pounds, and I'm in a lot of pain if I don't smoke marijuana. That's all, that's the only thing that can alleviate the pain that I experience. Like, should marijuana be legalized? And he said that... Well, what's most likely going to happen is cannabis would be condensed into a pill, and then you could have access to that. And the guy who um, was challenging him said, I've tried that many times. It makes me vomit. The only thing that alleviates my suffering is smoking marijuana. And should marijuana be legalized? Yes, absolutely, just for those reasons that that guy laid out. I mean, people aren't doing this just to get high. It seems that many people are smoking marijuana for every reason under the sun. I mean, some people are having good results with pain management. They need to smoke marijuana to manage their pain. If it makes their life better, let them do it, especially because we have things like alcohol that are that are legal, which are way more dangerous than marijuana. I think that that is um, something that um, is going to be changing heavily over the next couple years. Chad has written into that episode saying, I tried the TV thing. Oh, I got to tell you the TV thing. Um, The TV thing was something that I mentioned in the episode last weekend where Scott Adams talked about this in his book, Loser Think, when he said, to get over bad memories, visualize a television set, visualize all the details of it. Does it have a plasma screen or is it old-fashioned? Does it have rabbit ears? What color is it? And watch your bad memory, your traumatic experience happen on the television set as well as you can and recognize that you're not experiencing it anymore. It's on that TV. And then see yourself pick up the television set and throw it into a trash can. Now, I said that that method didn't work too well for me, but I put it out there because I like that it's something that you can try, not this um, nonsense like, oh yeah, we'll try thinking about something else. Yeah, that's the whole point. It doesn't work. Um... Well, or you're, you're, you're not doing that. You need a new way to do that. Of course, you know what you're supposed to do. The question is how. How do you get over that? How do you train your brain to start thinking about something else? Another one that it really has not worked well for me at all has been journaling. And I was talking about this with somebody once. Um, I was saying, okay, if you have bad experiences, write them down. Write down what you're feeling and you'll feel better. And I'm like, do you think that's the first time I've ever heard that? journaling never worked for me. Like when I would write down those bad feelings that I'm having, like I'm angry at this person, I feel sad about this. I felt so 
much worse. And um, the reason is because you're just kind of wallowing in that emotion. And that's what another reason has contributed to my understanding that we're not supposed to experience anger and sadness and um, despair. Those are the things that we're trying to get away from. So with journaling, I have also had somewhat of a reversal that I feel better when I'm talking about another subject. And say, for example, if I were to write in my journal, maybe just about the weather conditions or sports or politics or religion or anything that's not those bad emotions. Granted, that is somewhat of a distraction rather than rather than actually confronting the problem. But I'm definitely not somebody who is like, oh, well, let's just um, talk about how I'm feeling. All right, I'm really angry about this. I'm really angry at this person. Wait a second, now I'm angry again. And it just gets worse and worse and worse um, if you just kind of allow that to um, allow your body to be engulfed in that, allow your mind to just be surrounded by those very, very negative emotions. So the other alternative is to absolve them, is to, um, you can actually train your brain to do this, to not get angry about things. There is no anger disorder. Like when someone says, I have an anger problem. No, you don't. That is a behavioral thing that you can change because depression, that can happen. Absolutely. That's why they call them SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That deals with your levels of serotonin, perhaps norepinephrine. But when you, someone has an anger problem, something has to be making you angry. You can be depressed for no reason at all. I mean, that's exactly what we said earlier. Those are the people that need antidepressants if they're depressed for no reason at all. But someone who is angry, something has to be making you angry. Back when I was in college, I was just, you know, taking a drive in my friend's car. I forget if I was driving or he was driving, but that's beside the point. I think it was the day that he let me drive his car, actually. And he was talking about that, about how his mother left his father, who was very verbally abusive, and his father would always try and justify it by saying, I have an anger problem. And the um, thing that they learned through counseling was, as you see, counseling isn't all bad, is that an anger problem is not a justification for any type of outward form of verbal abuse because something has to be making you angry. Anger is secondary. And that person should be correcting that issue that's making them angry. And here's one more thing that I can share with you about self-help and psychology that you can do to make you less angry is to never judge yourself. And I did learn about this from Jesse Peterson as well. He's the guy behind the silent prayer. But he said, never judge yourself. And it's amazing how you can see the results so instantaneously because I... um would just start doing that. Like I used to always say, oh, I'm a terrible person. I would say, I'm not a good person. If I were to make a mistake or something, I would be like, I'm horrible. And then once you stop judging yourself and then you said, oh, I made a mistake. I put something in the wrong place. And then you're like, hey, wait a second. Then you get the actual gravity of the situation. Or if it's dealing with bad memories and then you're just like thinking that you're not good or you're thinking that there's something bad about you, then you're like, I feel embarrassed because I did something inappropriate in the past. And it slowly allows you to feel that level of mental clarity. But um, I would like to get back to Chad's comment. I just firstly had to share that thing about the television because um, 
I think you heard what it was with Scott Adams when he said, visualize your bad memories on a television and then, then throw it into the garbage. I tried the TV thing. Nope. Smoking pot whenever I'm agitated works, though. I'm stoned a bunch, but it works. I don't drink or do drugs anymore. <laughs> Actually, it says drugs, D-R-O-O-G-G-Z, double O-double-G. I like that. I don't do drugs anymore. Maybe a medium-sized medium joint of regular Max pressed brick weed, like the kind we had in the late 1980s, but not this 10 hits L super weed we got now. Smoke until you are relaxed, then walk around. Like Manny and his SOS videos. That's the Son of Sam uh, series from Manny Grossman. He does a lot of walkthroughs of the Son of Sam murder sites. Good to see you back, Ned. Hey, uh, thank you, Chad. As far as marijuana goes, as I said, I don't have an exact uh, first-hand connection to this. I've never done it. I tried to eat a pot brownie once, but then it turned out to be just a regular brownie. Damn high school. But... As far as marijuana, when I was back in high school, though, I was in health class, and they tried to scare you to no end. As I said, marijuana seems to have very good results for a lot of people, but other times, marijuana might have some other issues. I mentioned the show Waterloo Road recently, and one of the characters on that, he smokes marijuana, and it awakens dormant schizophrenia or it is in he put it in his own words it was always inside of him thus the marijuana brought it to the surface and um, his symptoms of schizophrenia become very very apparent when i was in high school health class they warned us of that that if you spoke marijuana it can awaken dormant schizophrenia and i thought that was a load of bunk a load of crap a load of fooey that it just wasn't true. Like, they're just trying to scare us, and they're just making up crap to try and control people. I don't know how regularly that happens, That meaning that if someone is a schizophrenic, then that um, is something that is in their neuro neurological functioning, for lack of a better term, and that it only becomes apparent after they've smoked marijuana, Still, though, even though that is possible, I don't think that that would be a reason to ever say that marijuana is illegal or should be kept in an illegal state. Well, thank you for uh, listening to this episode here on um, Lawrence Kane, the death of Henry McCabe, as well as psychology and self-help and all of this stuff. Um, what, may I ask, though, like, if, you, if I were to devote these AMAs to a single subject, which one would you like to hear about? What kind of um, responses would you want? And especially something that's been covered previously on the channel. If it's some absolutely brand new material, I could use it on the true crime talk radio segments that are going to be coming out on Tuesdays. But please look out next week for the Long Island Serial Killer AMA. All five episodes will be devoted to the Long Island Serial Killer, and there will be a lot of new material covered on the channel. And if there's anything that you would like covered on the show for a future Anything Goes segment, please feel free to request those as well. You can also write me at blackboxonlineradio at aol.com. Anyone can follow the show on Instagram, blackboxnet88. There's also a Facebook page, Blackbox Online Radio. My personal Facebook is available in the description box, as well as the link to download the show for free at Launchpad 1, formerly known as Launchpad DM. And I will see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.